All right, Isaiah chapter 9, that's great. Uh, We are reading chapter 9, verses 2 through 6. The prophet Isaiah lived several hundred years before Jesus, and he was one of the many people who were anticipating, looking forward to, waiting, hoping for the fulfillment of God's promises. Uh, And this is one of the, um, these are some words that he spoke uh, uh, to the people uh, that we often read at this time of year. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian, for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Fear is a persistent and powerful reality. I remember as a young child being afraid of the dark. My bedroom had a loft which led into an attic storage closet, and I remember sometimes lying in bed at night worrying that somehow someone had found his way into the attic and was hiding up there in the shadows. At other times, I would enter my house through the basement, uh, the garage connected to the basement. I had to pass through a room where the only light switch was about five or seven feet away from the doorway. So I had to turn off the light, turn my back to a completely darkened room, a windowless room. My heart would beat a little faster than normal. I would shut the door behind me and go up the stairs quickly until I was upstairs and feel relieved. Of course, I never wanted to let on that I felt such fears, probably because I was afraid of what my parents or others would think of me. After all, my fears of monsters and the dark were in one sense irrational and unfounded. Our house had never been broken into. None of my family members had been victims of violent crime. Our neighborhood was quiet. But even though I might have said publicly that such fears were irrational and silly and unfounded, I still felt them regularly. Fear comes naturally to us as human beings, even from a very young age. And as we go through life, especially as we become more aware of the brokenness of this world and the unpredictability of life, fear doesn't go away. Sometimes it even gets amplified over time. We might not fear monsters and the dark anymore, but what about the prospect of being mocked by peers in school or being rejected again after another job interview, or being left alone, abandoned in old age, or dying a slow and painful death. Not all of our fears are irrational and unfounded. Even my childhood fear of monsters in the dark had a grain of truth in it. Namely, there are real dangers in some dark places, and not everyone in the world is a friend. Sometimes people are hostile. 
In one way or another, we, can, we all feel fear. At one level, fear can be a healthy and appropriate response to danger. A proper dose of fear is what keeps us from taking foolish risks and getting in a lot of avoidable accidents. Fear is not always a bad thing when we're recognizing danger for what it is. But often fear controls us and holds us captive. Fear can cause us to never go outside for days on end, to refuse to seek advice at the times when we most need it, to cut off other people if they get too close or if they challenge or question us. Fear can cause us to pretend to be someone we're not. The words that I just read from the prophet Isaiah were initially spoken to a people who were captivated by fear. At one level, these people had some legitimate reasons to fear. The year was 732 BC. Their country was being invaded by two neighboring countries. When the king heard the news, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 2 says, The heart of King Ahaz and the hearts of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. The future was uncertain. People were desperate for any kind of security. Some people turned to fortune tellers. Others tried to communicate with the dead. Some looked to military force for security and they wanted the king to make an alliance with another country and get them into it. And in the midst of all these fears, the Lord spoke to the prophet Isaiah and said this in chapter 8, verse 12. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. That's the context for these words that we heard from Isaiah chapter 9. These words of comfort and hope that were speaking to, spoken to people who had legitimate reasons to fear and who had become captivated by their many fears. Isaiah spoke of four things in these verses. Light, joy, freedom, and peace. Verse 2, he spoke about light. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Verse 3, he speaks about joy. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. Verse 4, uh, he speaks about freedom. Freedom from uh, burdensome expectations and oppressive threats. And in verse 5, he speaks about peace. Light, joy, freedom, peace. And isn't that what we long for? Isn't that what we sort of taste and glimpse in this season and hope will stay with us? Light that shines in the darkest time of the year and gives us hope for a brighter future. Joy that doesn't remove the reality of pain or grief or loss, but persists and even abounds despite it. Freedom from others' expectations or from threats and oppression. Peace instead of conflict and violence. I think we all long for all these things to be more present in our lives and of this, and this, this world. And in verse 6, Isaiah tells us who is the source of this light, joy, freedom, and peace. He says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And verse 7 goes on to say of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So many people have read verse 6 and asked, 
Well, who was Isaiah thinking about? What child, what son was he talking about? Uh, some have, uh, and for many years, actually, Jewish scholars have discussed and debated this question. Uh, some have thought that perhaps Isaiah was speaking of King Hezekiah, who succeeded King Ahaz uh, later on in Isaiah's life. Uh, Hezekiah was a good king who came to power, and in some degree, during his 30-year-long reign, the people experienced light and joy and freedom and peace uh, to a limited degree. But then after Hezekiah reigned for 30 years, his son took over and everything went downhill. But verse 7, where it says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end, indicates that Isaiah wasn't just looking forward to a king who would reign for whatever the term was, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and then pass on, and things might go a different direction. No, in fact, many Jewish scholars understood this passage to be speaking not of Hezekiah, but of the future Messiah, a king who would reign forever, the source of everlasting light and joy and freedom and peace, something that the best kings in the history of the nation had only sort of given a temporary taste of. Earlier we read from the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament the, the story of Jesus' birth. And if you might have, and, and, you, and we can notice how Luke described the experience of the shepherds in the fields at night. They experienced those four things, light, joy, freedom, and peace. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They saw light. The angel said, fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy. And then they were told, unto you is born in this, this day in the city of David a Savior. In other words, one who will bring freedom. And then finally, glory to God in the highest and peace to people on whom his favor rests. Luke is showing us that the child of whom Isaiah spoke is none other than Jesus himself. Jesus came to bring us the light and joy and freedom and peace that we long for. He has come to deliver us from the grip of our fears that captivate us. In verse 6, Isaiah describes Jesus using four names. Wonderful Counselor, who brings light into our darkness. Mighty God, who brings joy into our pain. Everlasting Father, who brings freedom from bondage. And finally, Prince of Peace. Let me just briefly reflect on each of these names and on what Jesus offers to us. First, Isaiah says that Jesus is the wonderful counselor who brings light. Now, when we hear the word counselor, I think the first association in most of our minds is a professional therapist. Uh, those didn't exist in the ancient world. Uh, that profession uh, wasn't known in that particular way. In the, but in the ancient world, a counselor was either a political advisor who would give strategic advice or a trusted friend, someone who would uh, hear you out and tell you what you needed to hear, even if you didn't want to hear it, uh, but who is trustworthy. Uh, however you define the word, therapist, advisor, friend, a good counselor meets you where you are, but isn't content to just let you stay where you are. A good counselor will both comfort you and challenge you. And there's an incident in the Gospel of John that I think uh, reflects how Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Jesus is speaking with two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they've just lost their brother Lazarus. Their brother has just died. And Jesus has come, uh, and they're, they're grieving. Um, 
And one of the sisters, Martha, runs out to Jesus while Jesus, before he even gets to the house, she hears he's coming down the road. She runs out to talk to him. She starts eagerly talking with him. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even, though, even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus responded by engaging her and by speaking the truth. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? And Martha said, yes, I believe. But her sister Mary was in a very different place. Mary didn't run out eagerly wanting to talk with Jesus. Mary stayed in the house. And yet Jesus didn't overlook her. Jesus asked for her. After he finished with Martha, he said, where's Mary? I want to talk with her too. And when Mary came to where Jesus was, she fell at his feet. And she began by saying the same words that Martha had said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But then she couldn't say anything more because she broke down weeping. And Jesus didn't respond to Mary in the same way he had responded to Martha. He didn't go to Mary and say, I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? No, he didn't say anything in the moment. He just wept with her. In fact, it's the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. You see, Jesus is the one who challenges and the one who comforts. He's not like an automatic recording that you get when someone doesn't answer the phone. No, he saw where Martha was and what she needed he saw where Mary, where Mary was and what she needed, and he met both of them individually. He knows us even better than we know ourselves. He's a wonderful counselor who brings light into our darkness. But second, Jesus is the mighty God who brings joy into our pain. According to the Bible, the central paradox about who Jesus is is that on the one hand, he was a vulnerable child fully human, just like the rest of us, subject to weakness and fatigue, hunger and thirst. He can relate. He can identify with the weaknesses and the temptations that we all feel. And on the other hand, Isaiah says, and the New Testament says, that he was and is the mighty God himself. And that word mighty didn't just refer to someone who was theoretically powerful. It referred to a hero in battle, a valiant warrior, a courageous champion. And we see this paradox living itself out throughout the story of Jesus. At the end of his life, Jesus was crucified. In other words, he was publicly humiliated, tortured, and killed. The object of unjust hatred and false accusations. He knows what it's like to feel all those things. But on the other hand, contrary to all expectations, when his disciples came to anoint his body at his grave three days later, they found that his body wasn't there and that he appeared to them later in the day. He had risen. He emerged victorious from death in the grave. He can make a way even when, humanly speaking, there seems to be no way. You see, often we feel overwhelmed by fear because we feel that life is out of our control. And that's true in one sense. The vast majority of things in this world are outside of our control, individually or even collectively. And the real question is, is life just random and pointless and nobody's in control of anything? 
or is there someone in control above all the chaos? And if someone is in control, then the question is, is that person worth trusting? Or is that person like some of the other authorities that we've seen and known in this world? That shouldn't be an authority. Do we have any reason to believe that there is a God who is in control and who has our best interests at heart? Well, look at Jesus Christ. If he, the wonderful counselor, the faithful friend, the servant king, is also the mighty God, then we have a reason to trust that he's in control and that he has our best interests at heart. If he was willing to become a vulnerable child, if he was willing to experience all of the human challenges that we do, then we have a reason to believe that there's someone who is there and there's someone who is for us. Jesus is the mighty God who brings joy into our pain. Third, Jesus is the everlasting Father who brings us freedom in place of oppression. Uh, now you might say, if you've been around the church for a long time, you might say, well, I thought Jesus was the Son of God, not the Father. Why is Jesus called the everlasting Father here? And that's correct, but this verse is not talking about the Trinity. It's using Father in a more general sense. Protector, provider. Many people have never known a father who was a provider and a protector and who was present. Maybe the main authorities in your life have been just the opposite. Neglectful, oppressive, self-serving, or merely absent. Many people have trouble relating to the Bible's description of God as our Heavenly Father because of negative experiences with earthly parents or authority figures. But there's a story in the Gospels where a woman comes to Jesus all by herself. And we don't know all the details of her background, but it's almost certain that her prior experiences with authority figures, especially male authority figures, were largely negative. She had a, what we do know is that she had a bleeding disorder that had persisted for 12 years. She had gone to doctors, she had spent all she had, but instead of getting better, her problems had only gotten worse. By this time in her life, she had no one else to advocate for her. No one else was with her. In fact, her story is right next to the story of a 12-year-old girl whose father loved her and came to Jesus on her behalf. But this woman comes to Jesus all alone because she has no one who is advocating for her. And she comes to Jesus out of desperation. She doesn't even talk to him. She simply touches the edge of his cloak and hopes to slip away unnoticed in the crowd. And Jesus responded not only by healing her physically, but by honoring her publicly. This is what Jesus said to her. Daughter, your faith has made you well. In other words, Jesus was saying, you are now a daughter of God. I will be your provider and your protector even when others have not. I will stay with you no matter who else has left you. I will be your father everlasting. And finally, Isaiah tells us that Jesus is the prince of peace. Jesus said to his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Yes, we will feel fear. Yes, there are very real things in the world that 
we ought to fear to some extent. But Jesus promises a peace that the world cannot give. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you may have heard of him. He was a German Lutheran pastor who uh, refused to sign the oath of allegiance to Hitler, and he was eventually put in a concentration camp uh, for, uh, uh, for standing up uh, for those, for others. But he wrote this about peace through Jesus Christ, a reflection on Christmas. He wrote this, where God comes in love to human beings and unites with them, there peace is made between God and humanity and among people. Are you afraid of God's wrath, his punishment? Then go to the child in the manger and receive there the peace of God. Have you fallen into strife and discord with your sister or brother? Come and see how God has become our brother in Jesus Christ and wants to reconcile us with each other. This child is the Prince of Peace. Where he is, peace reigns. Fear is a persistent and powerful reality, but Jesus Christ is an even more persistent and an even more powerful reality. So let me invite you, bring your fears to him. The wonderful counselor who brings light, the mighty God who brings joy, the everlasting father who brings freedom, and the prince who brings peace. Let's pray. Almighty God, these words, light, joy, freedom, and peace, feel like good news and balm to our souls. We long for these things to be present in our lives and in our world in increasing measure. We pray that we might take hold of you Lord Jesus, the source of them all. We pray that you would help us. We pray for those who are uh, searching for truth, that you would give them a desire to know you and to search out what is true and good and right. We pray uh, for those of us who have known you and trusted you for a long time, that you would help us to cling to you and to, uh, to reflect these things uh, this light and joy and freedom and peace in our life more and more. And we pray for those of us who are just beginning uh, to walk with you and to trust you. Uh, we pray that you would help, help them to uh, cling to you, Lord Jesus, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Amen. So we have come to the close of our service, and what we do on Christmas Eve is uh, do candle lighting. So if you would get out your candles, uh, is there anyone who does not have a candle? Um, and raise your hand and one of the ushers will get one to you. Okay, um, there, uh, um, thank you very much. Um, so uh, just to go over how it goes, um, so, uh, so this is the Advent wreath here. Uh, and what we've done over the last four weeks is light one candle every week leading up to Christmas. But the candle in the middle represents the light of Christ who has come into the world. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to blow out these four other candles that represent sort of our uh, hopes and anticipations and how people were looking forward to Christ. And there'll be just one candle left burning, which represents Christ who has come as the fulfillment of the prophecies and the fulfillment of our hopes. So I'm going to bring this candle down. 
Uh, and then the, um, uh, the ushers will, will go up the center aisle uh, and um, uh, we're going to light candles down each row. So if you are way down the end of the row, uh, perhaps move toward the middle uh, or move close enough so that you can safely transfer your light to whoever is next to you in the row. I think that'll be the uh, safest and smoothest way to do this. Um, if you have a battery-powered candle, then just turn it on uh, when, um, uh, when, uh, you, when someone else, when your row is, is lit up. Um, so, um, George, would you turn off the lights in the sanctuary? Uh, we're going to sing Silent Night which is on the back of your program. So you don't have to hold the hymnal, you can just hold the green sheet. Um, Silent Night, Holy Night. Uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna begin with a reading um, after I blow out the candles. And I'm gonna begin with a reading and then we'll, this, we'll sing Silent Night together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. <laughs> 